0: You're listening to a new episode of Flux Pod. My name is Matthew Perpetua. This episode features Maria Sherman, who is a music writer. Uh, she writes for a lot of different people, different publications. Uh, in this episode, we're going to talk a lot about her book that came out in the year 2020 called "Larger Than Life: The of Boy Bands," uh, NKOTB to BTS. So we're going to talk a lot about boy bands We're going to talk a lot about K-pop and BTS and Blackpink She wrote a feature cover article about Blackpink for L. So we're going to get into that It's going to be a fun episode We're going to get into a bunch of things Also uh, a bit of her love of punk uh, The band Ice Age She wrote a really big thing about Ice Age recently So uh, this will be a fun one Hope you enjoy it you want to hear every episode of Flux Pod? You've got to hit up the Patreon, uh, Patreon slash Flux Blog. Uh, there's two episodes every week. This is the free episode on a Wednesday. The uh, bonus episodes come out on Saturdays. and I usually put up a little bit on the regular feed, but the full episodes are you know the full episodes and they're only for Patreon subscribers. Hit that up. Anyway, let's get to it. Maria Shorman. Maria. Uh, Tell the listeners who you are and what you do.
1: Certainly. Uh, My name is Maria Sherman. I am a music writer and culture critic living in Brooklyn. Uh, I work as a senior staff writer at Jezebel. I've written about music for (laughs) every publication under the sun. And I uh, recently put out my first book called Larger Than Life, A History of Boy Bands from NKOTB, that is New Kids on the Block, to BTS.
0: I appreciate you doing the full title.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I it's it's a long one. And uh, I don't know, I get to talk about it more if I read every word out, I guess. <laughs> I get an extra like millisecond.
0: So what was it, the process of getting that book together? Like, like, how, was there a kind of an extensive pitching process? Or do people just kind of bite right away?
1: No, actually, like getting the book deal was the like less stressful, um, like kind of easy part of the process, which makes me sound like such a tool, I realize. But I've I've heard that this is more of a common practice in in publishing, at least now more than it used to be. Um, The publisher realized that they wanted a boy band book, and they were trying to figure out who they wanted to get to do it, and did the research and then approached me. And then I was able to sort of, shape the book into whatever i wanted it to be just had to keep in mind that my publisher uh, specializes in fully illustrated books so it would need to be sort of fully illustrated art object which i was thrilled about and i was also thrilled that they didn't go to britney spano's first uh (laughs) because she could have done a killer job of course uh with this topic
0: yeah i wish she's got her hands full you know she's busy Um.
1: i had nothing going on so (laughs) i'm very grateful
0: yeah, I mean, the art in this is very good uh, by someone named Alex Fine.
1: Yes, yeah. Um, so Alex is an illustrator out of Baltimore. He's crazy talented. Um he was uh, actually recommended to me from the publisher, but I was really familiar with his work from like Time and Newsweek. And I obviously like he has such a distinct style that I think people can recognize it fairly easily. Uh, and he was really responsive to all of my notes, which were a little psychotic. They were very much like, I don't think his eyes are green enough. And <laughs> like really just kind of leaning into team fangirl uh, zone with with all of that. But uh, he he's great. And I think it came out beautifully.
0: I like that it's basically formatted like a teen magazine, but it's still like a pretty seriously written book. But it's but it's like formatted and it's kind of like a native uh, way, like native to the style.
1: Thank you. Yeah, that was the intention. So I'm glad it comes across. Every once in a while, I'll get what I assume is criticism from people who are like, don't be fooled by the design. And I'm like, no, enjoy the design. It's cute. And it's smart. Two things can be true at once. Um, As is so um, foundational in in the boy band story, I knew like in writing a book about this topic, it had to be fun and colorful and like the most vibrant thing on your bookshelf. Uh, (laughs) Because that's what boy band music is.
0: Right. So it, it was just like solemn black and white photos.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, the play, the pages about all of the like exploitative behaviors are dark for that reason, because I was like, I got to get into this stuff somehow uh, without losing the integrity of what makes boy band music so fun to talk about and think about, uh, which is that it is joyful, but there is sort of a CD underbelly like in so much pop music history.
0: So you were pretty steep in this to begin with, but like what parts of... Uh the overall like through history, boy band story was like relatively new to you.
1: Anything that happened before I was alive. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> um, so, so that would be like, uh, new kids on the block and, and new edition. Um, Oddly enough, a lot of the, like, Beatlemania stuff I was familiar with, and I think maybe that's just because I went through a phase of reading every Beatles book I could get my hand on in high school, which yeah. is...
0: I mean, they're also the Beatles.
1: That's, that <laughs> is true. It's
2: very
0: hard to avoid the Beatles.
1: Yeah, and, like, vague knowledge of, like, doo-wop and stuff, and I think that might have just been from, like, being a nerd in high school, trying to prepare myself for a career as a music journalist, and, and reading about... Um, american music uh but like yeah it's it's mostly uh it was mostly new edition and new kids on the block which was new territory for me um but it, it was super fun to learn about
0: what was your impression of new kids in the block really because uh, that's kind of i think that's probably the first like proper boy band that i was aware of because i have to come about 10 years older than you so that kind of hit right like most i mean a lot of people my age are a little bit older like that's their boy band
1: uh yeah that makes good sense to me and i kind of think of them as like when the term boy band is kind of thrown around that's the image people will think of um obviously you need new addition to get to new kids on the block and there's a long history of, of black music that gets us to the modern boy band story, but New Kids on the Block really the whole like um, ubiquity, uh, the the merchandising, everything about them, the personality types, a lot of that uh, it, we we is kind of foundational to like who comes after them, which is like Backstreet Boys and NSYNC, who I consider the sort of quintessential boy bands. But again, probably a generational <laughs> fascination. <laughs>
0: that's true because i think it's i think their role in this story is probably the similar like obviously there's a lot of rock music that exists before the beatles and stones Mm -hmm. but the beatles and stones really are like that's like you know a a cultural big bang or something where like that's the you know that's that's where the story really kind of clicks
1: in right and they they did sell more records and the most records <laughs> in, in, in pop music history. They're, they're certainly up there uh, still at the top, which is interesting. And I also like that. Um, I, I assume you want me to say that the Baxter boys and NSYNC are exactly like the Beatles and the stones, which I do make in the, I do say that in the book, mostly to enrage people. Um, but. <laughs>
0: Wait, so which one is the Beatles and the stones? This is not fresh in my mind. I,
1: I gotta look it up. I, cause I, <laughs> I had a I mean, it seems like, if I had to guess,
0: mm-hmm. I would be like, "Isn't In Sync the Beatles?"
1: See, here's the thing. I, it's it, it depends on like how you want to categorize the personalities of each group, because I think like um, an ethos and Sync would be the Stones because they just they're like more of a like like a rowdy bunch of boys than than Backstreet's sort of moody. Um, balladry but then i don't think of the beatles as particularly (laughs) exclusively moody i don't know i think it's a false equivalency um but it but it is fun i mean also there's the the sort of rivalry the marketed rivalry aspect of it that makes it kind of a fun comparison albeit not a very good one um
0: this mentioning the new kids in the block just now made me think about how like i've always like had this weird conflation with them and the teenage mutant ninja turtles who i guess (laughs) are like Like they're sort of a boy band.
1: Totally. They're totally a boy band. Oh, I love that. And they do have this distinct personality types. The only one I can (laughs) think of is Michelangelo, uh, the party dude. And I feel like he's like the cheeky one, which is, which is yeah.
0: Yeah, there's like the nerdy one. There's like the, the kind of like a uh, mean one. And then there's like, and <laughs> there's the leader guy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, and
0: <laughs> boy they're band. They're all himbos.
1: <laughs> yes, they are all himbos. Wow. Maybe they're like a boy band on the reunion circuit. <laughs> they have more man band like <laughs> tendencies. Yeah. I mean,
0: but. I think like the reason I conflate is because like it's about the same point in time, like the late 80s.
1: Yeah.
0: Leading into the early 90s.
1: I, yeah, I could see but. certainly a similarity. It would be really fun to have a bootleg shirt that was kind of like a mashup of the two of them. Someone should get on that because I will spend a ridiculous amount of money on that were to exist. I
0: feel like that has to exist, right? Yeah. Like at some point that someone already had this thought. This is not like the most profound thought I've had.
1: <laughs> I feel like maybe we've given Supreme like a free st- stupid streetwear shirt idea. Whatever.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh wow. Um so where do you kind of see like the, the future of boy bands? I mean, I think obviously BDS is like one of the biggest things in the world right now.
1: Yeah. Uh, this is a question I get asked a lot and I feel like my answer changes sort of day to day because it's
0: right, well, yeah. right now we're early January uh, 2021. Right. What's the vibe?
1: <laughs> well, the vibe is BTS isn't going anywhere, right? Like it seems like for a while they might have to take a break because of the mandatory conscription in South Korea um i think it was young men up to age before their 29th birthday or or 28th birthday uh would have to serve two years in the military uh was getting pretty close and then actually south korea changed the law for extraordinary performers or athletes or whatever so now it's 30 people are kind of colloquially calling it the bts law so basically all of that is me trying to say we have at least two more years of bts and i don't really see um their fandom waning in any way. They've certainly blown up the, the sort of framework of the boy band story to such great heights. And and I don't know, just the, the, the sole power of their fans is, is really some kind of a monolithic thing, like, thing to behold. Um, but beyond that, it is kind of interesting to see Western boy bands attempt to kind of do their own thing in this time period. I don't really see any of them having the um sort of popularity of of k-pop right now but it, it seems to be that those groups like why don't we um are trying or in real life are trying to do more of like either a pop rock thing to fill one direction shoes um may they rest in peace or like an r&b pop thing and sort of make uh, adultify the boy band story which never works and has never worked and will <laughs> probably never work <laughs> um, you, you can't use R-rated themes when you're trying to attract an, an all-ages audience. Uh, I guess is the simple way of putting it. But yeah, I think we're we're in BTS land for for quite some time now. <laughs>
2: Time for goodbye no more than check song
0: you like CNCO? I think I'm saying is it Cinco? And no, it is
1: CNCO, which is crazy. It should be Cinco. Um yeah, I, I love them. And I also just get excited whenever there's like a Spanish language boy band or um a Latinx boy band, because we haven't really had one uh since Menudo, I guess, that has kind of exploded in in a certain way. And I do think they have some some certain level of ubiquity. I don't hear them on the radio, but then again. I guess when I turn on the radio, it feels like it's only the weekend's blinding lights and that one Drake song that I wish would stop. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about them. I do think if BTS did prove anything, it's that um, young people are open-minded about the language or where music comes from. It's so much more global than it's ever been, um, and they don't have the same sort of hang-ups that something has to be anglophonic to enjoy. They'll listen to whatever, and that's like cool as hell. I was not that cool when I was twelve. You said I won't Aquel tiempo
2: otra vez y poder detener, pues ya no puedo.
0: yeah i mean I, to me that's like a really big canary in the coal mine for like where overall pop is going because if that's like where the youngest part of the audience is where well i mean if you just look at like k-pop in general like who listens to k-pop in the u.s uh as a mostly really young people for whom like listening to music that is like mostly or fully in korean is like not weird to yeah
1: them? I actually, I, I, I wouldn't, I would be curious to know what the age demographics are because I think, like, at least in like I, BTS Army and the way that they like mobilize online or on Twitter, the people that I'm interacting with are typically younger. Um, but like, when you go to a K pop show, I feel like there is a wide range of ages, which is unusual because like I remember seeing One Direction at, um, oh my God, what is that place called in East Rutherford, New Jersey? MetLife, Met life, like the yeah. big, the former yeah, giant stadium. Or whatever. Um Yeah, the, the audience is primarily young and female to the point where they'll like stick the women's sign on top of the men's bathroom sign. I once went with Rob and I like lost him for 30 minutes because he couldn't find uh, a bathroom that uh, was inclusive to his gender, ironically yeah. enough.
0: I was going to say, like, how would you lose Rob in that situation? He's like six foot six and the only adult man. <laughs> well, there
1: were some dads there, uh, but yeah, the, the men's bathrooms had been converted to women's bathrooms, but uh, I think of something like that. And then That's I think hilarious. of like going to KCON or seeing Blackpink at the Prudential Center, also in New Jersey. I don't know why all the K-pop shows go to New Jersey. Um, and, and the audience is like a little bit more mixed in, in gender and um, in, in race and ethnicity for sure, but also in age. It kind of runs the gamut of like tweens, teens, kids to adults, um, which is also interesting because a lot of it could be people who are interested in Korean culture writ large. And then, of course, that includes pop music. Um,
0: or just a healthy love of bangers.
1: Or people who know how to have a friggin' good time. It's crazy. After seeing, like, Big Bang and, like, Blackpink, when I would go to, like, a Western pop show, I'd be like, that's it? Like, you're only going to give me some pyrotechnics? This shit isn't going to go on for, like, three <laughs> hours? I feel like I can only be pleased by Rammstein and, like, K-pop now in terms of the big stadium melt-my-face-off kind of performances. So
0: you did a big feature on Blackpink for L, right? It was L?
1: It was Yeah, it was a cover story, which was so exciting because, you know, yeah, and it's big for them because I think it's their first big U.S. um, fashion cover story. Of course, they've done, like, Vogue Korea and and China and some of the East Asian come shoes, but it it was such, like, an honor and a privilege, as corny as that might sound, to to get to do the story with them. It was cool. It was also really exciting because I was like, Elle's got their ear to the ground. They know what's up. They want to be ahead of the curve, and... In both fashion and in music, so that was kind of
2: exciting. <laughs> get good
0: Was it like doing that? I think almost all of it was done like through Zoom and things like that, right?
1: Yeah, it had to be, which was a nightmare because it was like 4am. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was just like, oh my god, I was overly caffeinated. And I feel I'm worried I was kind of just like so I don't like overly enthusiastic. Cause so I was like, if I sound like Mickey mouse, they'll keep talking and they won't be sleepy, uh, which is not a journalistic tactic I recommend. Uh, but it, it's, <laughs> but, but they were so sweet um, and gracious and answered all of my questions articulately, which I could not do at four in the morning uh, to some <laughs> crazy New Yorker screaming yeah. at me.
0: They're, I mean, they're total pros. Um, really was, this the, was this the first big story you'd done uh, kind of using this sort of method? Like not really by choice necessarily. You
1: uh, Like a Zoom profile?
0: Yeah. Just like cause, I mean, I've, I've talked to a couple other people who've done this. Like I talked to uh, Alana Kaplan about like kind of adjusting to having to do like feature stories like this and having to do like, here's the color on how, you know, how you're just like trying to tell a story. But like you always circle like, well, on Zoom,
1: Yeah, and she would know. She's the pro. Um, Luckily enough, that was my first time doing something in that fashion. I did, like... Yeah, because I guess, like, the last big magazine... I did another K-pop story for, like, Cosmo, but that was in the spring, so I'd written it kind of months earlier. It was more of an investigative thing. Yeah, that was my first time spending any real time profiling someone um, over Zoom, and it was weird. I guess, like, I'm more worried or like concerned that um that'll become some sort of norm and then that like will even further lessen uh access that journalists have in the prof- in profiling um but yeah I-, I guess it was also sort of a weird time when i was working on that story because it was for the october cover so i was writing it over the summer and uh, i think at that point people had kind of gotten tired of the like it's crazy. I'm in my bedroom and they're in their bedroom, sort of leads that were basically like, we live in horrible dystopic times. Um, so I had to try and figure out how to approach the story with con- considering that that was a circumstance, because it was, um, without sort of like bashing readers over the head with it. And also, not feeling the confines of it which is really sort of hard um but with blackpink i think it, also, it must depend on like the subject matter too if i'm having a heart-to-heart with somebody who wrote a memoir i think doing that conversation over zoom would be sucky but with blackpink there's so many like extra musical elements that i can engage with that kind of go beyond the actual interview uh, so maybe that i was sort of privileged in, in yeah. having that convenience
0: do you think that if there was no pandemic they may be like okay i'm gonna fly maria to uh, south korea
1: they better. <laughs> I I'm I'm owe trying you to, one. Yeah, no, I'm trying to, to get to that level. I know of I've, like, I've, I've been writing about K-pop on and off for like many years now, but that's only because I've worked with people who are very early adopters into K-pop. I'm thinking of um, Billboard's Jeff Benjamin um, and my good friend Tamar Herman, who just wrote a book on BTS. Our books came out very close to one another, which I was like very excited about because there's something in the water, boy band book, <laughs> boy band book season. Um but I know that they've been, I think both of them have been sent to Korea to, to work on stuff. And I'm like, all right, that's, <laughs> that's the next step. I would love to do that.
0: I mean, Jeff's been on that beat for like, five or six years, at least, right? Like he's he was really, really early adopter.
1: Yeah, I remember he used to be <laughs> I don't know if this is an interesting story, but I'm gonna share it anyway. Uh, he used to be an RA at a dorm at NYU that was the dorm where WNYU, the college radio station, was. So, and um, he would work at, like, the front checking people in uh, and I would go into to do my radio show in the basement and I would always see him and he'd be like, you gotta listen to this K-pop boy band! And it would, yeah, we would catch up that way, which was exciting. So that that's must that gotta be pre-2013, so probably over a decade now.
0: Do you feel like, okay, that's kind of, in terms of the music press, do you feel like like music critics are going to start picking up that this is a major thing because one of the things I noticed is looking at like all the gear lists that just came out within the past month or so. Like, all it's like a it's like a world where everything exists except K-pop. Uh, like Rolling Stone acknowledges BTS and maybe also Blackpink. But it, I just find it really weird. It seems like it increasingly seems like a, a like a, an almost intentional like like ignoring it.
1: Yeah. I think a lot of it is just, um, I, maybe this is a problem that happens with any sort of new fascination of music where you have people who know the stuff backwards and forwards, but maybe don't have the writing chops to be like a regular contributor or a columnist or whatever at, at one of these sort of legacy music publications. And then you have people who have been doing music criticism for decades or whatever, and they don't really understand or haven't, really put in the time to recognize how large of a phenomenon this is. So there's this weird thing happening where I, I don't know. I I feel like there are people who should be on this beat more directly for these big music publications and it is getting ignored. Um, But I will say sort of on the flip side of that is K-pop press is like notoriously finicky. And I wonder if some of it is just people don't want to be bothered with it outside of maybe a few reviews Um, because there's a lot, there's just, it's very protective, um, things like, uh, there are things like, I don't know, sometimes like questions will need to be approved based on whatever agency you work with, which is not something I'm comfortable with. Um, and I know other journalists probably or might share those ethics. I don't know. It's, it's, it's sticky. And I think there are a lot of a lot of reasons why it's not getting its its share. But like with best or year-end lists, I always think it's weird that everybody's list kind of looks the same, but that's a problem I've had ever since I was like a dumb 19-year-old punk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> not a fan of critical consensus in general, especially when it does seem like something's being left out.
0: I think like at some point, anytime I've been asked to vote in those things, whether it's for a publication or like Paz and Jop or you mm-hmm. know, I guess the thing they do instead of Paz and Jop now, like mm-hmm. I always kind of like... I just vote very politically where it's just like, well, what can I just kind of bump up in some way? (laughs) Yes. Right. It's just like, I'm just trying to vote. I'm just trying to get something on the list. I'm not trying to like have this, like this list be like something that necessarily represents like the entirety of my taste. I'm just trying to vote for stuff.
1: Yeah, that's what I loved about Paz and Jocks. I would be like, "These are really the records I think is best, are the best rather." And it's going to be specific to my taste, as opposed to when I was like staff at Fuse and we were doing best albums. I was like, "All right, well, like maybe I will make sure that Beyonce's are number one."
0: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I also think there's just a lot of um, like K-pop is like. A, a specific thing, but there's also just like, I feel like a, a, a boom and in interesting music from South Korea. There's a lot of things that would kind of, I guess, be considered like indie or something like that. Mm-hmm. But it's like really interesting indie stuff. So it just feels like, I don't know. It just feels like there's this whole thing happening. And I don't know, I guess some people just don't really, because it's so huge. And be, I mean, not just like in terms of popularity, but just like this kind of whole uh, there's a lot of context to take in to try to parse mm-hmm. through. And I think when right. you're a music writer, you, you want to at least pretend to be authoritative <laughs> and to be authoritative about this stuff would take a lot of time and effort, but I still think you can just kind of approach the stuff, you know, as music, you know,
1: Yeah. And I think sometimes people kind of get hung up on all of the stuff that they think they need to contextualize, um, which can sometimes have the adverse effect where I'll read something and I'm like, this kind of veers into like exoticizing territory. And I know this person is probably just trying to like make clear um, some sort of history of of K-pop. Um, but it's not very linear, and then I think it gets sort of diluted into being this incredibly linear thing. I mean, my book, like, it's really sort of surface level, and I hope um, when people read that section, they know I'm not trying to <laughs> give them like a master class in the history of K-pop. Just sort of like foundational information, so they can kind of do their own thing. But certainly, when I was when I was getting into the music, I felt a bit of a, a problem, or I don't know, an issue where I couldn't figure out where to start. Um, and I guess this would have been like when Big Bang was the big K-pop boy band. Um, and at that time, I just listened to the music and went to the shows and had a good time. Uh, so I guess it's only <laughs> as um, deep as, as you make it. <laughs> if you're yeah. a music journalist, do your due diligence, but or like, do your research. But <laughs> for everybody else, you can just enjoy a pop song for what it is.
0: So like my bias in k-pop is like pretty heavily in favor of the girl groups yeah you know, I, I like black pink i like twice i like red velvet mm-hmm. you know girls generation and to One a little mm-hmm. further back like but that makes sense because i pretty much always like girl groups and i'm always a little like eh, about about boy bands yeah uh, not really for like any ideological reason. we're just like I think there's like a sort of melody that boy bands gravitate to that I just don't really like that much. I like a lot of one direction songs, but one yeah. direction I think is like just a completely weird thing. Overall. Like there's, there's, there's just kind of one direction is kind of a thing unto itself.
1: Doesn't but, make a lot of sense. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're uh their musical touchstones are kind of all over the place in a way that is very unexpected in the boy band story. But
0: yeah. Yeah. I mean, technically the biggest rock band of the past decade
1: Yes, no,
0: uh, yeah, no, I love
1: that. Yeah. yeah. Let's go with that. <laughs> yeah
0: no, no one likes rock music anymore, but one direction like was just playing stadiums everywhere. <laughs> um, wait, so uh, so uh, so, I, so I was kind of setting up an idea there. So I've never really connected with BTS, so like from your perspective, why did BTS, like why were they the ones to break out in the United States the way they did?
1: Yeah, this is another question that I feel like there are many disparate answers for. Um, but it, 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 I don't know if it was necessarily BTS. Like It could have been anybody, I think, um, had they done what BTS did. Um, which is essentially um, make themselves known in America. And then since America is the world's largest music market, people kind of tend to follow what what happens here. Um, And that's always been true of the boy band story as well. Like when you make it in America, then it's like, all right, we've done it. Now we can take over the world. Um, When um, BTS kind of came into the fold, South Korea's K-pop idol industry was kind of already just like overflowing with acts. Um, so there wasn't a lot of room for new talent, and because BTS was on Big Hit Entertainment, which isn't a big three, it's not a major label, um, essentially, in South Korea, they had to get creative, and they sort of set their sights on on America, and it worked. Um, I think there's there are other facets of that. I, I guess there was always sort of, like, the interest in K-pop was also, like, bubbling under, because we would saw, like, you even mentioned Girls' Generation, or 21, um, or... Big Bang, like I mentioned earlier, like, I think the foundation had been set for a group to really break, um, in America, a K-pop group to really break in America and, and BTS by virtue of the fact that they kind of set their sights on our shores. Um, it's one of the major reasons they were able to do it. And then I think they did everything else right, which was just like being very aggressive on social media and making themselves accessible from day one to each other or to their fans. Um. And then having that sort of ineffable it quality where they're just like really fun boys to watch hang out together and they're cute and they all fulfill a certain role or appeal to a certain personality type. Um, So it's kind of like a combination of all the things that have worked for boy bands in every decade since boy bands have existed. And then... um, Good marketing, good business acumen, I guess, uh, which is not a very romantic way of describing it. It's no, always like, part
0: of it. I mean, yeah. especially on this level of things. But it's so I right. guess basically like there was a hole in the market because One Direction had ceased to be. Yes. And there hadn't been something to rush into that void just yet. There were mm. other things, but it they, they wasn't clicking in the huge way. Mm-hmm. And then they also, but, but K pop, uh, the foundation was built. So someone was just ready to just do it. And it was that.
1: Right. Yeah, and I, and I think it's not that, like, all, like, One Direction, like, Directioners became BTS ARMY overnight, though I do follow a bunch of, um, Directioner, like, Twitter accounts that did become BTS ARMY and what felt like overnight, it was probably a couple months, um, but I think that they were appealing to people who were, like, curious about K-pop or already into K-pop and those Directioners and teen pop fans in general. It's all of these sort of different groups, and also the fact that BTS, um, have dedicated rappers and, and we're doing like hip hop music when traditionally boy bands who do that don't really make it that huge. Um, they were bringing something new to the story. It's it's like a multitude of, of factors that kind of give us this explosion.
0: Yeah. Um, are they as, are they like the biggest act in South Korea as well? Or, or is there other people who are bigger?
1: See that I'm not sure about. Um, Cause I, I Cause I wouldn't know right now. I feel like that changes. You'd have to, I, and maybe it's like specific to whoever just put something out. <laughs> uh, I think it changes a lot, but I mean, they obviously have a massive following there. They're huge. They are like all over the place in advertisements and, um, and not just in music spaces, but in the beauty world as well. Um, I don't know. I don't. I don't feel comfortable answering that question. I guess. Yeah. But, I, I, I would need to check the charts. You know, like that. I. I don't know. Someone will come well, after me.
0: I, I was thinking, like, wow, if they, if they put all their effort here, like, just that the, the idea that maybe like they're just kind of like moderately popular. Oh there. no no no
1: no yeah. no! They're, they're humongous everywhere. Um, I was just saying, sort of early on, they made it a point to be here more frequently, in that shows significant returns.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, that's a uh, very old technique. Like, you know, just going back to just like bands from the UK, like the ones mm-hmm. who spent all, like, way more time touring the United States always ended up being bigger.
1: Yeah. Uh, we like things that we can see, I guess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember like that was like a point that like uh, this going back to a different set of boy bands like oasis mm-hmm. and blur like oasis like toward the hell out of the united states and blur was just like eh, a little bit
1: that makes made all sense difference. yeah that makes sense though do you have a preference i feel like we've talked about this before maybe a karaoke situation i, I mean
0: around. i like oasis a lot but I, i'm definitely a blur person okay I that was gonna be my guess yeah um yeah i connected with blur like a lot more strongly it. and also like i mean a blur is more consistent like through the yes. whole career whereas oasis have like three years where like they could do no wrong and then it stopped
1: and i then
0: they agree and they, they just kind of kept going and you know there's some good songs but you know
1: yeah i hope they don't listen to this i agree
0: <laughs> <laughs> i you know w- when i worked at rolling stone i got to interview both liam and noel separately Oh, and I remember when I talked to Liam. It was one of the most disappointing experiences I've had in my professional career, because I got the one interview with Liam Gallagher where he was completely lucid and chill and like magnanimous. Uh-huh. It's like, how? Come on!
1: <laughs> I, th- I thought he were. Uh, I, I was not expecting that to be. <laughs> the no, you the want to be a lout, right? Yeah. Oh uh, wow.
0: But Noel delivers. Noel, Noel knows his
1: job. <laughs> yeah. I think I would be intimidated to talk to them. But, I mean, whatever. I guess <laughs> they, they would enjoy that.
0: I feel like Noel Gallagher kind of like missed his calling to some extent. Being like, he should be a radio guy. Oh, like, he would yeah. Like, I mean, he could still do it. I mean, he's like, you know... I mean, you, you wouldn't want to like give up Oasis, but like it just have to be like, like now he could just be like uh, Britain's number one shock jock. He could just be like Howard Stern of the UK.
1: That's brilliant. Now he should be listening to this. I yeah, think I that's a idea. great idea. Are you taking <laughs> yeah. notes? I think we're just like, we're on fire here. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, you know, it's like, you know, it'll probably be a little while before Oasis finally does like a gigantic reunion tour. I'm sure COVID kind of threw a wrench in whatever things that they have been kind of working on.
1: But. Is that real? I feel like I always see rumors and I just assume nothing is. Oh, true. I mean,
0: my feeling with those guys is that they have been like really ratcheting up like the we hate each other. Fucking hate that guy like in the past few years because they want the reunion to be like the maximum hype level event which I think it would be anyway because I feel like Oasis is kind of more popular now than they were back in like for a lot of their career uh certainly in the United States I feel like they've just kind of they're uh, like, Wonderwall. like like Wonderwall think about like what Wonderwall has become and like don't look mm-hmm. back anger. Those songs have gotten bigger over time so like yeah. I think, like, if they wanted to play, like, a stadium in, like, you know, like, if they wanted to play, like, Giant Stadium, they probably could.
1: Absolutely. Also, to bring this back to One Direction, (laughs) as I've been known to do, uh, Louis Tomlinson of One Direction, his solo record, it's just, like, full-on Oasis worship. And he's very open about how much he loves the band. And I'm like, maybe he's done for Oasis to his fans what Harry's done for Fleetwood Mac for... St- or for Harry Styles fans.
2: Oh,
0: that makes a lot of sense. I mean, on a yeah, small I mean, oh, scale,
1: but like still, I don't know, notable.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember there being songs on later uh, One Direction records that sounded like very like late '90s Brit pop. Remember, there's one song I can't remember what it's called. Um, maybe it was "Hey Angel" that sounds so much like the Verve, it's out
2: of control. <laughs>
1: i've been like sort of fatigued and having to listen to all this music to talk about this book for so long that i've like gone straight into listening to hardcore and country music sort of exclusively i gotta go back and (laughs) prepare myself
0: i was i was gonna ask you like did like did you have that kind of like i've gotta get out of this because i definitely have that experience like doing things where it's like i need to get to the opposite end of the spectrum stat
1: Yes, but it goes. It's like very short lived. It'll be like God. I'm tired of listening to this, and then I'll just listen to like an indie pop record, and then like I'll think, oh, I should listen to One Direction again. <laughs> and then I'm like totally fine. Um, whereas with other music, I think the fatigue can last a lot longer because it's not so. It's not as joy inducing. At least to me, I don't get the same sort of dopamine release. Um, but yeah, it 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 comes and it comes and goes. But then you can always just listen to a different boy band. They sort of run the gamut of, of different genres and styles if you want them to
0: what are you into in terms of country music
1: oh um well i was just in texas um visiting my parents and i just learned to drive so i was driving my dad's pickup truck up and down country roads and listening to waco 100 the <laughs> the um pop country station out there and they only play like five songs two of which are luke bryan uh and then like Wait, which 30... luke
0: bryan songs have they? Got? Is, are they doing the one margarita song
1: no, I wish. Oh, God. Um, I, don't, I don't know. There were so many songs also about like proposals, which I was like, this is an interesting um, theme in bro country that's happening here. And then maybe it'll throw you a Kelsey Ballerini song if you're good. At, at one point, and, and maybe it was just because it was the holidays, so they were playing the classics. Um, they played Alabama's, um, if you're gonna play in Texas, you better have a fiddle in the band. And I hadn't heard that song since like actual childhood in Texas. And then I was like, maybe I gotta get seriously into Alabama right now. Um, so I've been mean, listening to a lot of Alabama and like Tanzman's Aunt and like, I don't know. If
2: you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not far Louisiana, man. So raw's enough that both of faded love and let's all dance. If you're gonna play in Texas, You gotta have a fiddle in the band I remember down in Houston We were putting on a show When a cowboy in the back Stood up and yelled night Joe! He said we love what you're doing Boys don't get us wrong There's just something Missing in your song if you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band. That lead guitar is hot, but not far, Louisiana man. So rosin' up that bowl for faded love, and let's all dance. If you're gonna play in Texas, you gotta have a fiddle in the band.
1: Uh, I... Maybe it's just I've been so locked in my Brooklyn apartment that I'm like, wow, I've got to go full country, just wide open spaces in my mind.
0: <laughs> Were the radio stations going wild for like, or for Morgan Wallen?
1: No, not a single Morgan Wallen song because I still don't totally. I've never listened to him. I just like know all of the. Uh, the sort of shitty politics of, of the guy, um, yeah. which, you know, I guess maybe he's just not Waco's demographic though. They did play a bunch of Newsmax ads. So I do think the actual, the, yeah, the listenership is, yeah. Is, is his listenership as well. I don't know.
0: It just seems like there's a huge push behind him. And like, well, he, that song like seven summers was really big. And that's a good song. Like I'm not really like, mm. a big country guy, but that's, I like that one a lot. Wow. But yeah. It seems like he's really primed to, it seems like the, the industry is like, oh man, if we play our cards right, we might get a new Garth Brooks out of this. I was like, oh, we'll see.
1: No, Garth Brooks is Garth Brooks. Yeah, no, yeah.
0: <laughs> but yeah that is kind of like saying, if we feuds. play our cards right, we might get another Nirvana.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair enough, fair enough.
0: Oh man, this, this one might be the Beatles. Um,
1: <laughs> That's what I'm saying when I'm listening to a boy band. We're going to do it.
0: So on the like on the other end of the spectrum, you also just r- wrote a tribute to one of your favorite bands, Ice Age.
1: Uh, oh I, yes, I did.
0: Yeah, my other like, favorite uh, boy band. <laughs> yeah, so I say like there there is kind of a a, a kinship there.
1: I certainly got a lot of crap around the time um, I Age first game to America. I think because this is also overlapped with One Direction, so and also just being a young woman music journalist, I think people are sort of quick to be like, "She only writes about cute boys," which is really such a insulting and and diminishing way to to look at anybody's career. Um, though I do think they have boy band like <laughs> ten. I mean, they are they are handsome, um, but. That is not uh, that is not the source of my enjoyment. Much like my enjoyment of boy bands, it is not solely because they are cute. Um, but with Ice Age, I, like when I, I couldn't believe that that first record, Upgrade, turned ten, um, and I it was the first in like I think maybe my maybe no I should watch what I'm saying. I don't want to be too hyperbolic. But I remember when I first heard it, and this was before they. Um, had a u.s label when they were still on like eshko and in um denmark i felt like someone had like hit me in the face and i was like this is the only thing i'm gonna listen to for the rest of my life it was just this like weird abrasive and elated sensation that i hadn't really had before i mean not since like true adolescence where i was like this is the best thing committed to record <laughs> like unpack that album um 10 years later uh as something that is like i still think it holds up and is kind of like the weirdest hardcore record that <laughs> exists uh because it's all it's it, it is a hardcore record but it's also like a death rock thing and a post-punk thing and i'm kind of surprised that people took to it in general um especially in the indie rock space because i felt that was like when everybody was listening to F- flaccid <laughs> college radio rock yeah, uh, you
0: know, I don't know. It, 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 I think it made sense a bit in context because there was a couple other kind of like hardcore adjacent bands that were people were into around the same time. But I think exactly what you're saying though, like that it was completely different from other things. People will kind of get sick of something and want to go like hard the other direction,
1: right? Yeah, and, and like, I also think
0: the point you're saying about like them being kind of a bunch of different things at once and trying to add it up—that that probably was a big part of it too.
1: Right. Yeah. And it's also just kind of fun to listen to a punk band and not know how to describe them immediately. It's, it's fun where it's not like, Oh, the touchstones are sort of immediately apparent. Cause you know, often a lot of this music can be derivative. I think that's true for a lot of guitar music, unfortunately, but I suggest just kind of its own unique beast, but I am kind of one of those like idiot uh, <laughs> punk loyalists where like later on in their career, um, when they moved from being the birthday party into being solo Nick Cage, I lost interest, um, which I don't think is true for a lot of people, but it, it was for me, unfortunately.
0: <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, I mean, I guess I prefer Nick Cave. Um, That's, yeah.
1: Maybe I will when I'm done with my Alabama phase. <laughs> I'll start listening to yeah. the later Ice Age records. And...
0: Yeah, so I actually I didn't really follow their career beyond, like, us that first record or so. So like what kind of became of them? Are they just, just kind of keep going, doing the same thing?
1: No, it, it changed sort of dramatically. They, I think they leaned more into their sort of post-punk tendencies, but then did get, like, pretty desert-rocky. Um,
0: desert-rocky? Yeah! Like, it like, means the Stone Age or something?
1: No. Like, I, I think of Nick Cave as, like, desert rock. I think of, like, I don't know. I'm not doing a good job of describing this. Why don't we just listen to
0: it? Yeah, I'll, I'll throw one on. Okay! <laughs> I edited music. <laughs> oh,
1: great. Yeah. Um, God, I also I still have a hard time. like when people ask me to describe my admiration for ICE age is actually kind of similar when people ask me to describe my admiration for one direction uh, because it feels it's like a, like an identity <laughs> changing or altering experience, which is fun that I can still have and still write about it professionally. because um, I don't know. I think people may be also quick to divorce fandom from criticism in a way that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah,
0: I, I I really dislike that impulse because mm-hmm. I feel like because I feel like it starts uh, privileging this thing where it, the, the opposite extreme where you're coming at everything and this kind of impress me kind of yes. way yeah. where you're very unwilling to just kind of like surrender to the music or to just to, you know, have like a real, like true fan reaction to it. And if you're not willing to have a fan reaction to it, why are you even involved? Why are you, why are you even engaging with this stuff?
1: Right. But, and on, on the flip side, I do think it's like healthy to have, um, some level of some skepticism. I don't know. I'm not going to follow. Like if they do something yeah. stupid, I'm not going to follow them blindly. Or I will say when I don't like their later records.
0: <laughs> um, yeah. well, right. Well, but yeah, there's a there's a you don't have guess yeah, uh, being a stan. That's a that's a whole other deal.
1: <laughs> yeah, fan versus stan. That'll be the yeah. next podcast. Uh, mm. <laughs> figuring uh, out where that line is. Yeah.
0: Right. And also think like there's there's a real value in people like writing about things from a level of fandom where they're just they just know everything about the thing. Mm -hmm. So they have an extremely nuanced understanding of all of the aspects of it. Right. And like, would you not want that, especially if you're coming to read about it? You know?
1: Yeah, that's why Um, I
0: hope to get from the writing.
1: Right. That's kind of why I love I love reading people who are super fans of the thing they're writing about. So like, I don't know, what's a like Rob on Rob Sheffield on Taylor Swift or like anything John Pelley did about Fiona Apple this year. Um, but also like to the record reviews and maximum rock and roll, because those people know their shit in, inside and outside. And and uh, I always get something from from that kind of writing.
0: I meant to ask you this before, but I didn't want to like completely derail it, but like you were kind of saying before that you kind of knew very early on that you wanted to do this. Mm-hmm. You wanted to write about music and uh, I mean, you basically kind of went to college for it and mm-hmm. uh, cause you went to Gallatin um, and you you just kind of had a, that's the school where you can kind of build your own curriculum, which mm-hmm. you basically built around for that. So like what, what do you remember being like the earliest like uh, Eureka moments about like this being the direction you want to go in? Like what were you reading when you were young?
1: Um, I, I a lot of like spin Rolling Stone and alternative press alternative press specifically because I am of the age where um, like early 2000s, I guess musical fascination would have been like pop punk and third wave emo stuff. Um, I am a My Chemical Romance scholar, (laughs) um, but I, I, I was reading a lot of those magazines and then a lot of like British magazines because I was living in Germany on a military base because of my family's careers. Um, so, um, I I was like NME and whatnot. Um, so obviously like very much rock, (laughs) rock centric, rock interested, um, but I think, like, I always knew I wanted to write because I like w- it was just something that I felt that I had a, a natural gift towards, or at least a natural interest in. And then, as soon as I was like 11 or 12, I realized, hey, I want to write about music because this is the thing I enjoy talking about and engaging with the most. Um, and then it wasn't until um like high school where I was like oh it's also weird that I'm basically only reading men and uh white men about this music and I am only half of one of those things um so it was so it was it was kind of like tricky to be like oh okay well I'm still gonna do this but I'm gonna do it like immediately because I just it seems like there will be more hoops to jump through for me um as there certainly seem to have been (laughs) Um, but it it wasn't so much like an aha moment or as soon as it's like as I was able to put it together where it's like I like writing. I like music. I like write, music writing more than any other kind of writing. This is what I'll do. Um, so it sort of happened very quickly. And I feel lucky because it is a hard industry to break into and when that is increasingly uh, dwindling to such small depressive sizes um, that I was able to do it that way that I kind of got it started young.
0: So your your current job at Jezebel kind of opens you up where you have the option at least to write about a lot of other things. Like have you like started to get into writing about like non-music topics?
1: Well, I do for my job and it's nice to engage with other stuff cuz it also makes me feel like less of a phony as an actual journalist, Where <laughs> it's like maybe have some expertise that isn't just one <laughs> one lane um and and I do think that by writing about like politics and gender, and I do a lot of like internet culturey stuff. Um, that it kind of sharpens my music writing or makes me more curious about things in a different way. Uh, so, th- so that's been good. And then, of course, they do give me the freedom to like do an L cover story or write a boy band <laughs> book. So I'm very grateful for that.
0: So, uh, if you were kind of like manifest like a future, like like or early- like the next like couple years, like what would you like most like to do?
1: That is a fantastic question. Now I feel like, (laughs) and I'm going to try not to take it as therapizing. (laughs) Um, That's me projecting. I don't know. Like I would love to, I think the ideal thing would be to do, to like have Rob Sheffield or Amanda Petrasich's career where it's like you have a staff job somewhere, but you can like write books and, and endeavor to these big projects in in ways um, that maybe are inaccessible to me at my stage of my career. Um, I mean,
0: you, I, you sort of have that.
1: Yeah, I guess that's true. I mean,
0: you have that more than most people do.
1: That's true. Yeah, I'm a brat. <laughs> I don't know what you to did. tell you. Um, <laughs> um, but I, I would like to write more books uh, because I keep describing it as like a really horrible and torturous thing that I can't wait to do again. Um, <laughs> that's the, <laughs> the god honest truth. Um, I would also love to explore other mediums of storytelling, be that podcasting or documentaries or something, because there is certainly more interest in music documentaries than there have been ever before. Um, so it'd be cool to see what that life is about. But I, mean, I they've know. never
0: been more accessible, right? Like, if, Like, I think especially like Amazon Prime always has like 300 of them just ready to go.
1: Yeah. Um, And, you know, some of them are better than others, but it seems that people are interested in music storytelling, maybe not in the the avenues that I like wanted, not the big glossy magazines that I dreamed of uh, being gamefully employed by in my youth. But maybe there are other ways to do it. Um, And I'm excited about the other ways.
0: I hear there's a lot of money in TV.
1: Uh, You know, someone has said that before.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, I I think this is a good place to stop. I think we kind of, we hit a a good uh, arc there. So uh, Maria, where can people find you?
1: They can find me on Twitter uh, at at Maria Sherm. That's also my Instagram handle. You can read me at Jezebel, but most importantly, you can find me at your bookstore (laughs) as the author of larger than life history of boy bands from NKOTB to BTS
0: oh my god thank you so much maria that was fantastic
1: thank you this was so much fun